way that we're going to have a happier 2014 than 2013 is if we love Jesus Christ and know Jesus Christ more this year than we knew him last year. So a uh, happy new year. That's what I'm praying for all of us. And if we are going to have uh, a happy new year, we have to know how to deal with tough stuff. We have to know how to deal with hardship. We have to know how to deal with difficulties, with challenges, uh, whether they come in the form of, of slander or cancer or just, just the more ordinary things. My son uh, fractured his elbow last Sunday roller skating, and he's one of my main players on my basketball team, one of my most valuable players. And so trials are going to come in 2014. Uh, slander, cancer, your son's fractured elbow as coach, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is, they're going to come in 2014. I'm not trying to say they're going to come worse, but they're going to come. And how are we going to deal when the hard times, when difficult times, when affliction comes into our lives? And there's three ways that we often, we often deal. I'm giving Norm a run for his money here, moving the microphone around. There's three ways we often deal with affliction, with trouble as it comes into our lives. Uh, one of the things that we do is we, uh, we, uh, we look down in order to look up. We look down on someone who has it worse than we do. So therefore, I feel okay. I feel better about where I am. Look at how bad off she is or he is, and so I'm going to make it through. That's one way we can deal with affliction or trouble. Uh, Another way that we deal with it is we deny it. We act like it's not even there. The trouble's not here. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to live confidently. I'm going to live courageously. Uh, I'm just going to deny that. Another way that we deal with it is we exaggerate the problem. We exaggerate the affliction. I'm hearing some laughing, uh, laughs of reson- uh, resonance out there uh, with this one. We take our problem and we, uh, we put it in a pot on the stove and we crank it up on high and the water begins to boil over into the kitchen and into the house and we are letting everyone, we are letting everyone know of our trouble, of our problems. Uh, those are three ways that we commonly deal with uh, affliction, with trouble, with, with hardship. And in case you haven't uh, got it, those are not good ways to deal with our affliction, with our hardship. But there is another way, there is a better way to deal with discouragement, with hardship, with whatever is going to be coming our way in 2014. Uh, we'll call it a gospel-centered response to suffering. And we see it clearly in the life and writings of the Apostle Paul. If your Bibles are still open there to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look at verses 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We have here in verse 4 basically the theme of the book of 2 Corinthians. When trouble, when hardships, when, when afflictions come into our lives, they have come into our lives so 
that we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So for the Christian, when trouble and affliction comes, it's coming so that we can find our comfort and our refuge and our solution, our way out through God, and then help others also to find their way out to God. Now, uh, moving on in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul lets uh, the readers know about the kind of trouble that he has endured and what he has gone through. Look down at verse 8. He writes there, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul here at the very outset of 2 Corinthians is is, is basically telling us the theme of the book is that we find comfort in our afflictions through God. And the reason that we have them as Christians is so then we can help others find their way out. And Paul is very free with letting us know about his afflictions and his difficulties, his his sufferings. Uh, Let me just jump ahead and just listen to this. Later in the book, he, he writes this, giving more detail about his suffering. He writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And this last sentence brings somewhat of a smile to a pastor's face. He's just spoken about beatings and whippings and being naked and all of these terrible physical sufferings. And then his last sentence, besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. He's talking about people. He's talking about the conflicts that's going on in the churches here. Paul has suffered a lot. How many times does it say five times? Uh, He has been, uh, he has received these whippings five times. I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He has suffered a ton. And he loves God. And he has gone into detail telling us about these sufferings for two reasons. One of them is his apostleship is under attack. And he's wanting to validate that he is indeed a follower of Christ and a genuine uh, apostle. But he is also writing to us to give us a, a blueprint to help us to know how to deal with suffering, to know how to deal with affliction and trouble. And that's what I want to look at today. We're going to look at one more uh, 
this thing is moving a bunch. Uh, we're going to look at this uh, in detail in a passage, and I want to just pray once more uh, before we get into our main passage for today. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for another year. Lord, we pray that this year would be a happier and more joyful and more content year than the last one. We pray that we would love Jesus even more this year. And I pray that we would be better prepared for trials, for troubles, for afflictions in whatever form they come this year. We pray, like Paul, that we would find the God of all comfort in the midst of them and that we would go even beyond that as he does and help others find comfort in their own affliction. Speak to us now as we continue to look at your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, flip your uh, Bible over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to try a different one here. I think we're okay. Are we okay with this? We're okay. We're okay. Flip it over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He begins here, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love these, these verses. Uh, these, are, these are a few verses that I have memorized, that I have, that I have uh, spoken and recited um, at the bed of, of people who are suffering tremendously, who are wasting away, as it were. And I'm asking that God's going to speak to you and to speak to me today out of them. And we're going to just work our way through here kind of phrase by phrase. Beginning at verse 16, we have this, therefore we do not lose heart. So we see here right at the beginning of verse 16, Paul is saying his will, God's will for you and me in the midst of trouble, in the midst of affliction, is that we don't lose heart. That we're not discouraged. It is possible to Be not discouraged in the midst of trouble and affliction. We also see at the very beginning of verse 16 this word, therefore. And so when we see the word, therefore, we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? It points us back up to other things. Let's jump all the way up to verse 1 of chapter 4. One of the things this therefore points us to. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore... Another one. Now, I'm not going to go back here. We'll just be going all day with therefores if I, if I keep going back. But verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So we see this, this phrase repeated. Uh, we do not lose heart. It is God's will for you and I in 2014 as we encounter life's difficulties and troubles that we don't lose heart, that we are not discouraged. And so, of course, the biggest question is, okay, well, how do we do that, Mike? How do we do that? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time in looking at this passage. How do we not lose heart in the midst of trials, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of slander or cancer or fractured elbows or whatever it is? So let's look at verse 1. Part of the answer uh, is here in chapter 4 and verse 1. 
He writes, therefore, since God's therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. You like that? You like that high pitched heart there? Did you like that? Uh, We don't lose heart because of this ministry. Because of the ministry, we don't lose heart. Let's just take a step back here for a second. What is life all about? What am I here for? What are you here for? We are here to glorify God. That is why we are here on the planet. That's our purpose. That's the overarching aim. That is the chief end of man, to glorify God. But what is it we are to do? What is our mission? We all have the same mission, and it is to make disciples. And this is what Paul is referring to here in verse 1. Part of the reason that we're not going to lose heart, part of the reason that Paul does not lose heart, is because of the ministry that he has been given to make disciples. Now some of us, like Paul, are called to make disciples uh, across oceans, uh, to the nations. We're going to hear later from from some who are, who are going to be doing that soon, some, some of you in this room. But every one of us, whether we are missionaries or not, we are called to make disciples. And this is the context, this is part of how we don't lose heart when hard times comes into our lives, is by focusing on serving and discipling others. So this isn't what you want to hear about how we're not going to lose heart in 2014, but this is the truth. We need to have a focus not on ourselves, but on ministering to others, even in the midst of suffering and of trials. Let me give you a couple pictures of what this looks like. Some of you know uh, this lady here. I took this picture actually last evening. This is Pat Croft, a member of our church family. And Pat Croft has been in a season of trial as she's moved into a skilled nursing facility. Uh, she has, uh, she has uh, in part, uh, experiencing what Paul describes in verse 16, wasting away. In her case, it's not so much physical as it is um, mental, as it is cognitive. And Pat has been struggling with her brain and with her ability to think well. And I've been visiting her for many years, and now when I go to see her, uh, she knows I'm the guy from the church. She doesn't remember my name, but she, she knows me. About 10 days ago, was it about 10 days ago, Pat, who is having trouble conversing and, and functioning mentally, about 10 days ago, one of her neighbors is, is dying. And the nurses think Pat would like to spend a few moments with this person before she moves on into eternity. And so they wheel Pat uh, into this, uh, this woman's room. Was this a woman? It was a woman. N- wheel Pat into this woman's room. And Pat, who can't really carry on a conversation easily with anyone, begins to pray for this lady in front of these nurses. I mean, th- this is basically a miracle that is taking place here. A woman whose cognitive abilities are going away. And yet the Lord has put in her a heart to minister, to make disciples, even in the midst of her mental faculties wasting away. And even before today, 
I shared this with Don. I've shared this with the elders, too. Even before today, I kind of gave a report to the elders a, a week or two ago about Pat and, and others. And I said, you know, Pat seems more joyful and more content in recent weeks than she has in months past. She has continued to do ministry in the midst of trials and difficulties and in the midst of, uh, uh, of, of outwardly, cognitively, in her case, wasting away. But back to verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Her focus is on her neighbor. I want to tell you another uh, story. And many of you have heard maybe some or all of this story before. You recognize that guy on the left there with the dark hair? This is me on my wedding day. And my best man there, Greg, uh, my best friend who is with the Lord now, he's on the right. And uh, that was in 1992. I snapped that picture uh, with my phone uh, the other day. And this is a picture of us uh, in 2009. My friend Greg was... um, His body was literally wasting away in 2009 when this picture here was taken. He has cancer uh, in his colon. It spread to his liver. It spread to his lungs. It spread everywhere throughout his body. And at this point in 2009, he was very close uh, during my visit to his... In fact, I went there just prior to go with him down to Houston. We drove from Dallas. I flew into Dallas. We we went down to Houston to the MD Anderson Cancer Center there where he was going to have his radiation treatment. But it had been the greatest distance in time since his last radiation treatment, so he was pretty strong um, as we're down there, as strong as he gets. And I'll never forget the, the first thing that we did as we, we were catching up and having just sweet fellowship. And uh, This is the closest brother, really, in the Lord I've, I've ever had, and he's uh, with the Lord now. But anyway, we're in the car. We're driving down to Houston, and he tells me, First thing that we're going to do is we're going to an Irish pub. Now, those of you that know me, I mean, I just don't go to Irish pubs a lot. Although, actually, we have at lunch, huh, with Robin. Uh, not in Houston at night, you know, that, that, that whole kind of scene. We're going to an Irish pub. So, Greg, why are we going to an Irish pub? Uh, it's open mic night at the, at the pub. So, so help me out again here. Why are we going to this Irish pub? It's open mic night, and Greg uh, can sing just a little bit better than me, but not, not a whole lot. But he loves music, and he's got a guitar. And it's open mic night, and so he wants to share about Jesus at this pub, at this Irish pub in this bar in Houston. He sings some silly song. I don't even, it wasn't about Jesus, it wasn't a hymn. And he shares his story about why he's there and why we're there in Houston. And I'm trying to act like all comfortable, like I'm always in pubs hanging out with people with my, <laughs> with my, my ginger ale or whatever, uh, whatever I've got going there. And he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing the gospel in a, in a pub. He's not losing heart. He's literally wasting away. And it took his life. But his focus is on the ministry. His focus is on discipleship. Part of the reason that you and I may be losing heart when troubles come into our lives is maybe we've put that trouble in the pot and we've turned the, we've turned the heat up, but we're not doing ministry. We're not, we're not seeking to help others who are also in affliction and trouble. And so this is one 
of four ways I have here uh, on my outline on how we're not going to lose heart. Number one is through ministry, through an outward missional look through ministry. Uh, The second one comes out of verse 16. Let's come back to chapter 4 in verse 16. Now let me read it again. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So the second way that we're not going to lose heart in 2014 is by daily renewal. Daily renewal. Uh, It it happens day by day. I don't know exactly why the Lord has set life up the way that it is, but He set it up that you and I are going to have troubles. Through many afflictions, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Now, when we came to know Christ, he could have made it this way. He could have made it once you're justified by faith, by grace, through faith alone. All those troubles could have disappeared. That's how God could have made things. They could have just all gone away. But he didn't choose to set the world up that way. And so we read in the scriptures that they're not going away in this life. In the next life, they're going to be gone. My friend Greg, they're gone. But in this life, we're going to face them. And we're called not to lose heart. And we need to do it through ministry, and we need to do it through a daily renewal of being in the Word and in prayer. It's a daily fight. It is a daily battle to not lose heart. We're we're, we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And we've got to stay in that fight. We have got to get alone with God in prayer and in the Word and fight the fight so that we do not lose heart in 2014. I want to look up again at these contrasts and paragraphs. Not, not again, but for the first time. Look at these paradoxes and contrasts uh, beginning in verse 7. All right, let me read these. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, We have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's the, that's the first paradox. Treasure in jars of clay. We have this beautiful treasure of Christ in the gospel in these weak, frail bodies that encounter suffering and affliction. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body, So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We have a picture of a battle here uh, in in these verses. And I've I've made a list of these. We could call them paradoxes. We could call them contrasts. I've mentioned the first one. We don't have time to look at all these. Let me just jump down to the last one in the list here. Death is at work in us, Paul is saying. He's talking about physical suffering that he is enduring. He is suffering. He's also encountering suffering from persecutors and people calling him a false apostle and and a heretic and a distorter of the gospel and all kinds of things. He's got all kinds of suffering coming in. He's describing that as death at work at us, but life is at work in you. 
And so God has set it up that during our affliction, even during our our suffering that leads unto death, it can be life-producing and life-giving. That's what we see in Pat Croft 10 days ago. That's what I see in my friend Greg. And that's what we see if you study the first few chapters of 2 Corinthians, you see a guy who is pouring his life out, who's dying, and giving life to those in Corinth and giving life to us here today. It happens through daily renewal. So I'm saying all this to say, don't be surprised when you do lose heart. You need to preach to yourself, I don't need to lose heart. The power of God is sufficient to bring me comfort in the midst of whatever's going to come in 2014. God is sufficient, amen? He is sufficient. And we need to remind ourselves of that on a daily basis. We need to get alone with God. Matthew chapter 14, after Jesus had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Even Jesus never sinned, but Jesus suffered. Even before the cross, he suffered in a variety of ways. He suffered emotionally. We read about his grief when his friend Lazarus died and he wept. And we weep when our friends die. Jesus was was persecuted and attacked even before the cross. He needed daily renewal and strengthening. And he goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. How are we not going to lose heart through ministry, through daily renewal? That's number two or letter B on my outline. And let's look at verse 17. Uh, The third way that we're not going to lose heart is in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now the thing I want to see, I want us to see here is this verb achieving, or whatever your translation has. I'm reading out of the NIV. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Now, this isn't a popular truth here. Um, that our sufferings and our afflictions are actually achieving the glory that we're, that we're headed for. Now, we're saved by faith. I'm not saying we're saved by our sufferings. I'm saying that verse 17 is telling us that our sufferings and tribulations are appointed for our good. That is the way to glory. That is the way. They're achieving this. They are meaningful. And so my third point, how we're not going to lose heart, is through a redemptive view of suffering. That suffering isn't something to deny. Suffering isn't something to say, that person has it worse than I do, so I'm going to be okay. Suffering is something that draws us to a place where we cry out to God, and we find his comfort, and we find that he is sufficient, and he redeems and he makes our suffering meaningful. Now, we don't always get to see how it's meaningful. I mean, sometimes it just, can I use this word? It just sucks, right? Is that okay? Say okay if that's okay. Sometimes, I don't normally speak that. Is my son Michael in here? Don't, don't use that word. That's not a good word. Sometimes it just sucks, and we don't get to see how it is meaningful. But we will one day see how 
it was meaningful. And sometimes we get glimpses of how our suffering is redemptive in this life. How many of you have had glimpses of how your suffering is redemptive? Sometimes we don't see it. But it is redemptive. Let's just flip over really quickly to chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read in verse 9. You're familiar with this passage, the thorn in the flesh. Beginning at verse 9, Paul has had this trouble. We don't know what it is. I think it's, by, it's obviously by divine design. We don't know what his trouble is or his affliction, but he's had this thing. He's called it the thorn in the flesh. And, and verse 9, but he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, that's when I am strong. Now, I hesitate to even say this, but just to make a counterpoint, let me just say here, we don't seek suffering. Paul's not seeking it here. In fact, if we read up earlier, he's pleading with the Lord three times to take this away. That's how we should respond to suffering. But sometimes the Lord says, no, this is for you now. And Paul recognizes here in 2 Corinthians 12, this is one of those times. And so he's recognizing that God is getting much glory. That's why we're on earth. I'm recognizing I'm weak and I totally need him. And he's chosen to use this thorn in the flesh to get glory out of me. And if we can make those kinds of connections in our suffering, then we're not going to lose heart. So number three, we're not going to lose heart through a redemptive view of suffering. One commentator uh, puts it this way. Although his trials were not minor by ordinary assessment, he almost died numerous times, in comparison with the eternal glory that would one day be his, Paul saw them to be mild and transitory. This is coming back. Let's go back to chapter 4. This this, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is coming out of what in my mind is my main text today. may not be in your mind what's my main text, but in my mind what's my main text is... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He describes these as light and momentary. He doesn't, he's not denying the, the significance of near-death beatings and whippings. He's not denying that. He's saying compared to glory, compared to eternal glory, uh, he saw these as mild and transitory. That's what he's saying here. Uh, And then finally, uh, let's look at verse 18. Final way that we're not going to lose heart. Uh, Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. His focus is on the imperishable things of life. His focus is on the gospel. His focus is on people who are also being afflicted who need the comfort from God that he can bring to them because he has also found comfort from God 
during his affliction. So the fourth and final way we're not going to lose heart is through an eternal perspective. Through an eternal perspective. Not a self-perspective, not a self-focused perspective, not a here's how I'm going to get better perspective. Here is how God is going to get glory. And I am looking forward to the new heavens and to the new earth. I am an alien and stranger here. One day we will have a realm and a world forever and ever where there is no suffering, where there is no cancer, there's no fractured elbows, there's no missing basketball games. The small stuff and the big stuff, it's all going to be gone. Paul has that perspective, and that's how he doesn't lose heart. And that's how we're not going to lose heart in 2014. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its sufficiency. Although secular counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists can be helpful, we acknowledge that you are ultimate when it comes to pain and suffering and trials. Lord, I know that there are many here who have suffered way beyond what what I have. I also know, God, that there is no one here whose sufferings compare to what Jesus suffered on the cross in our place. And Lord, we pray that we would take from that a personal love from him to us. We're not trying to make light of our sufferings. Help us not to make light of our sufferings, but to make much of him and his love for us, the love of Jesus, who endured the sins of the world and the wrath of God upon him because he loved us so much. Lord, I pray that not one of us would leave here today without knowing him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that even right now as I'm praying that your soul would be surrendered to him. And for the rest of us, God, who have surrendered our souls to you in some time past, we pray that we would have a much happier year ahead of us than we have had behind us because we love you, because we know you, because we are ready for trouble, that we are going to focus on making disciples, that we're going to love our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, that we're going to see them as people who need Jesus and need to be discipled. Help us, God, daily to be renewed in your word, and in our times of prayer with you. Help us to view suffering as redemptive and give us a perspective that this world is not our home, that we are aliens and strangers. And may we have hope and smiles on our faces, hope in our hearts and smiles in our faces as we look forward to eternity with you. We pray in Jesus' name.